A Key to the Inside, a podcast by Corey Johnson-Levitt. By interviewing leaders from all branches of government, our podcast will provide insight and an up-close perspective into state and national government. On this episode, we welcome our guest, Director of the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, Elizabeth Hertel. Welcome, Director Hertel. This is the KJL podcast, A Key to the Inside. Uh, We're excited to have you today. We're looking forward to talking with you as you take on this new role, um, navigating this huge, (laughs) huge state department and taking it forward. Um, We appreciate having you on um, and are looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in so long. I know. It's been a while. You've been buried in the department. (laughs) I've been at home. I haven't left my house much. So well, that's yeah. That's that's been the challenge for all of us. Uh, that the trying to figure out how to be effective on our advocacy from this new environment that we're living in with COVID and and um, making sure we're still connecting and getting our message out and getting it to the people that need to hear it and doing so from our living rooms. <laughs> 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 Well, we um, we know that you've taken on a, a huge department, and this is one department that probably touches everybody's life in some way, shape, or form across the state. Um, and we know that lately COVID has sort of dominated um, everything about, you know, every part of our lives here over the past coming up on a full year. It's hard to believe it's been a full year since this, is, this began. Um, so, you know, as you take on this new role, separate from COVID, what are some of the biggest challenges you have um, coming down that you see need to be addressed here in the short term and long term? Yeah, it's a it's a big department, but I'm honestly I'm only ever reminded that when people remind me that it's a big <laughs> department uh, because I've been working inside the department so long, it doesn't feel like a big department a big department to me. Um, yeah, we will continue to focus on COVID response. Obviously, moving forward, our focus has been on our vaccination strategy and working to get as many Michiganders vaccinated uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, but beyond that, uh, we will be looking at children's behavioral health care services, specifically in the short and long term. We are currently operating under an interim settlement agreement based from a lawsuit a few years ago. We have been conducting an environmental scan for the last few months on our children's behavioral health services, and that would cover all kids covered by Medicaid, from traditional Medicaid to foster care kids, kids that come in through the juvenile justice system, uh, and ensuring that we are offering uniform, adequate service provision across all those populations. And so I see that Uh, in the short term, trying to put together a plan and an implementation timeline, and I would anticipate implementing uh, changes could take a couple of years. So that'll be one of the first priorities that we'll be tackling. In addition, we continue to operate under the ISEP with our children's services, and we've made great progress on that over the last couple of years. And we, as always, you know, continue to focus on how we can build out and strengthen our public health services especially given some of the gaps that were clearly identified over the last year, I think as a result of chronic underfunding of some of our public health 
um, most important key public health um, elements like our lab and some of our information technology. So we have a, a lot to do in, you know, what seems like a long time, but you, you know, time goes really quickly. It's like you said, it's already been a year almost yeah. that we've been operating under COVID. So yeah. we have a lot to do. Well, you know, you brought up something early in, and that is, you know, you've been with the department for quite some time. I know when you and I first met, you were a Republican policy staff in the state house. So how has some of the history that you've had within the department and even outside the department helped you prepare for this role? Yeah, so I started with State Representative Bruce Caswell, as you remember. That's right, who, I forgot um, about Bruce, yeah. <laughs> yes, still texting and calling and giving me good advice, and he's a good sounding board. Um, I, You know, I feel like the experience that I've had really enables me to sit back and listen and try to understand two things. One, people who know more about issues than I do, uh, and we have a lot of experts, both internal and external to the department, uh, on a number of issues, and to try to listen to those different perspectives um, so that we can craft policy and programs that are um, useful and that can be, can be implemented and that people can, for the most part, uh, understand and support. And I think that that's really important. Um, that's why you've risen to the point where you have risen, is you've always been a good listener and you really dive into the policy um, and get to know all perspectives as you as you navigate. You've done that ever since I've known you, you've done that and done that very, very well, obviously. Um, you. you know, you brought up a, a bit of the children's behavioral health and some other of those points. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about system redesign, particularly as it pertains to, you know, the behavioral health uh, program in, in specific. You know, with all the resources and everything that's gone towards COVID, how do you see the redesign developing um, as you move forward? If there is going to be a redesign, I guess I shouldn't assume I shouldn't assume that. I think that we're always redesigning all of our programs. <laughs> Um, yeah. And and to look at something as, as broadly as, you know, redesign of the entire mental health system, that's a hard thing to kind of put our arms around. And I think that's why it's been such a challenge. And so what I'd like to do is, you know, through the work with KB and as we exit, hopefully, this pandemic era that we're in and get into a post-pandemic phase, I I think we will begin to understand the depth of the trauma that people have gone through over the last year, regardless of age, location, gender, race, everybody in some way has been touched by uh, COVID-19, some very personally through loss um, in their families, some through economic loss, many people with children who are learning at home, working from home, uh, isolation. And so looking at where we currently have gaps or barriers to access and trying to fill in those gaps um, to accessing services and programs, and maybe if need be, creating more. Uh, because perhaps, and I, I think probably rightfully, we don't have enough access points in the state of Michigan uh, to serve 
everybody who has a behavioral health need. And that's why so few people actually are able to get the help that they need when they need it. So looking at incrementally at all of the service points where people are entering the system and ensuring that we have the appropriate resources to offer services to people when they need them. Well, you know, we have the um, budget that's been released, the governor's executive budget recommendation, and, and that's now starting the process within the legislature. Um, what's your impression on how the how it's being received as far as opportunities for again more resources to some of these areas that we know have been uh, struggling in that arena access uh, you know having qualified medical personnel who can and be part of these programs which we all know is another issue um, how's the relationship going within the legislature as you see the budgets moving forward well i think from this department's budget perspective we are in a good position we have uh the same chair subcommittee chair represent whiteford in the house who's been extremely supportive of programs within the department and very collaborative over the last few years with us as we move forward. We do have a new chair in the Senate, uh, but we have a lot of the same team uh, over there working on the budget. And I think this, you know, many of the priorities in this budget do transcend politics. We are all looking to achieve the same outcomes with the limited dollars that we have. And so it forces us to have those conversations in a very candid way and that is something that i think has been a benefit to to the budget process for this department over the last few years um, i don't know the larger uh, landscape really with the overall executive recommendation we've been focused really on on ours sure. uh, but i'm hopeful that even if it is bumpy uh you know we will get there we always get yeah. there well, that's great. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny because I've kind of felt the same positiveness as far as those uh, legislators that work with the department uh, specifically and, and having that continuity of individuals involved going forward that always is a tremendous benefit and tremendous help. You know, switching over to COVID, um, you have, we, we, we know that the vaccine distribution has been uh, somewhat of a challenge and it's been kind of bumpy as it's rolled out here from the very beginning and then obviously particularly last week we had weather issues that have really um, curtailed distribution as well but what are you seeing as far as some of the thing changes going within the distribution model that is helping to get more vaccines distributed across the state yeah, when we began the vaccine distribution under the previous federal administration, we, we weren't getting a lot of guidance. We weren't getting a lot of future planning. We, we really weren't sure what to expect each week. Uh, and we've, I think, done our best with what we were getting and the timeframes that we were getting it and trying to essentially, you know, split a penny uh, among the states. As we've, as the Biden administration has come in and started really looking into the vaccine allocation and planning process, they've been um, really great partners in listening to us, keeping the lines of communication open when we have questions and suggestions 
for them and, and continuing to be responsive to that. So I think the, the greatest barrier that we've had in the state of Michigan is really the quantity of vaccine that we've had coming in. We have thousands of uh, providers who are enrolled to be COVID vaccine, vaccine administrators. We just don't have enough vaccine to be able to adequately um, supply everybody who, who would like to be giving the vaccine. However, you know, I am optimistic and positive. I know that the supply is not meeting the demand, but I'm so optimistic that the demand is so high and that we have so many people in Michigan who are getting a vaccine. And I think that yeah. that's something that we should really focus on as being a good thing. Good. Well, that's great news to hear. Um, you know, you talked about earlier, just briefly mentioned the post-pandemic. Um, any idea when you think that we're going to kind of go on the downside of this this whole pandemic process? I mean, I heard Fauci this morning say we could be wearing masks still in 2022. Do you have any thoughts on that or any predictions yourself? I mean, as soon as possible would be great. <laughs> uh, no, I think a lot of it is dependent on the quantity of the vaccine, uh, how quickly we start seeing uh, those quantities increasing to the states. I think we'll see hopefully this week and the next week approval of the, the a single shot vaccine through Johnson and Johnson, which will certainly change the landscape. Um, and then it you know will depend on the final uptake of individuals who are receiving the vaccine. Uh, but I will say this: I think you know as we look at our case numbers, we look at our positivity rates, and they've been coming down over the past you know, few months since Christmas, uh, people are taking this seriously, even though they're tired, uh, even though they're, you know, really everyone has sort of been pushed to their limits, but continue to take this seriously and understand, you know, it's, it's all of us who make a, a difference in getting through this. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, people will continue to do that and as we work through this vaccination phase of the pandemic. Well, you, just, you mentioned you've been working from home a lot, and I know that uh, you have uh, four children, if I'm not mistaken. So how has it been in yeah. your household trying to homeschool uh, your your brood? <laughs> it's been great. It's been great. It's just great. Uh, it's been challenging. And, I, you know, my husband, who for the most part, for a majority of, of this time, has been going into work um a few days a week at least so you know sometimes the internet is slow uh oftentimes i do start some of my meetings i didn't with this one because the one is gone but just making sure that people know i have kids here and they do love to pop in when i have meetings um yeah. so i think one thing that we've all learned a little bit through this past year is uh grace and and being flexible with people and ourselves uh, in understanding that we're all in this sort of new normal. Um, but it's been, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a year. It's been good though. The kids have adjusted really well to the virtual school. I wasn't sure how they would do, but they've done yeah. pretty well. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think obviously the department, the orders on COVID are coming out of MDHHS and, um, People forget that those individuals that are, you know, choosing what orders to do and what safety plan to put in place are also living the same, <laughs> having the same circumstances. <laughs> yes, 
Yes, we are. I mean, I really, I can't wait to get to a point where we, we don't need epidemic orders anymore. None of us, none of us want to be doing this. Um, but it's important that we, you know, continue to minimize the risk uh, across the state. And so having these orders it clearly have made a difference over the past year, but we do continue to review them. I continue to review them now that I've been in this position for about a month. Uh, and looking to see what we can, if we can try to give some certainty moving forward on what people can expect as the numbers continue to hopefully stay flat or decline. Well, and how are the numbers? How are the numbers in comparison uh, to, you know, October or even March when things were first coming, when we were first learning about all of this? How, how are they going? Well, uh, we can't, the numbers that we have from early in the pandemic, March and April, fairly unreliable because we didn't have the testing capacity that we were able to build up over the summer. So we, we really don't know. We don't have a full picture of what that looks like. Uh, going into late summer, early fall, we were doing fairly well. And then, of course, come, you know, November, uh, into late October, November, December, we saw these spikes going up pretty high across the state, not just localized in one region. Um, but these, over the last five or six weeks, we continue to see declining case rates, we continue to see declining positivity rates, and again, our hope is that that continues. However, we do, uh, we are watching very closely the variants, which I'm sure you've heard about uh, on the news. We have identified only one of those variants, the 117 variant, which was initially identified in the United Kingdom. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that it causes more severe outcomes, but there also isn't any evidence that it doesn't. The one thing that we know about this variant is that it transmits significantly more quickly than the original variant that was here, and so that is a concern, uh, obviously, as we kind of try to race this variant. Uh, with the vaccine. Um, the best way to minimize, you know, the genetic mutations of any virus is to have it stop spreading. And so that's that's the goal uh, in trying to be able to do that. You know, obviously these orders have been very controversial as, as they've come out um, from the very beginning for a number of reasons. Uh, we all know that um, COVID has not only impacted people in a physical way, but also socially and economically as well. And, um, you know, we know that the Senate has had some challenges or some some questions and, and uh, have taken it upon themselves to hold off on confirming uh, appointees to various, you know, boards and departments and things like that. How has that impacted your particular appointment um, for DHHS director? My focus is on the department, continuing to move the department forward, continuing to support all of our employees who have uh, worked so hard over the last year, have also been um, dealing with these significant life changes as everyone has, working from home for some of them, working seven days a week for others. Yeah. Uh, and so I really spent a lot of my, most of my time on that. I do, um, I have been able to have conversations with uh, legislators from both chambers. Um, and I'm hopeful that, you know, the Senate will give me an opportunity to, to continue, uh, but that's ultimately up to them. Yeah. Well, as you are, you know, going forward and, and uh, taking on this new responsibility and this new role, 
uh, how how is it that you want people to uh, work with you within the department? We we're lobbying firm in Lansing, and we have a number of clients that um, want to have conversations with the department on a host of issues. So, how do you want people to um, approach things and and uh, advocate within the department? I try to remain as accessible as possible. Um, as you know, I give out my cell phone number, my email. Um, I'm not able to be quite as responsive lately as I'd like to be. I get a lot more emails and text messages. I try my best. Um, however, you know, always through, you know, formal scheduling requests with the person that does my scheduling and um, David Knizic, who I hope some of you are familiar with from his time in the legislature, started last week in my former position, Chief Deputy for Administration, and he handles external affairs and legislative relations. So he is a good starting point, uh, as well as Emily Schwartzkopf, as always, um, to, to start having any discussions that uh, you or your clients are looking to have. All right, that's great information. Well, we appreciate your time today. Uh, we know that you are extremely busy and uh, we also know you have a lot of challenges ahead of you and we wish you nothing but the best. And uh, we hope to interact more and that um, we look forward to, to your new leadership and that role. Is there anything you'd like to leave with the people who will be listening to this podcast um, and have them remember or think about the department and your role there and and your goals i want to thank you for giving me the time today and it is good to see you because i haven't seen you in so long uh, <laughs> and i think it, i just want people to know you know our the success of the department is really so dependent on the success and the feedback from our stakeholders and our partners and i welcome that and i want to continue those conversations um, so that we can continue to provide the, the important services that we do to, to the people of the state of Michigan. So thank you. Thank you for joining A Key to the Inside, the KJL podcast.